I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Have you ever questioned God's providence? Ever questioned why He allows certain things to happen? Why evil men are allowed to advance to positions of power? You ever question his timing? You you ever question him on why he allows certain behavior to go unchecked? Why he delays punishing evil? If you have your Bibles turned to Judges chapter 9, we're going to answer some of those questions this morning. For the past three weeks, we have been focused in on the life of Gideon in the book of Judges. We have looked at his calling in Judges 6, his rise in Judges 7, and his fall in Judges 8. We have learned that while he trusted in God to do great things and was used by God as a great instrument of deliverance for God's people, Gideon did not finish well. His fall starts a poor pattern of ungodly leadership to follow that will continue throughout the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 9, we see the failures of the father carry on to the son, to his son Abimelech. Remember, while Gideon was not supposed to be king, and while he told those wanting to make him king, they were to have no ruler other than the Lord, Gideon lived like he was ruler. He lived like he was king over Israel. In Judges 9, we learn, like father, like son. In this chapter, Gideon's illegitimate son from a concubine in Shechem, not a great start. And and Gideon, actually, he he had a harem like a king. He had many sons from many different women. Abimelech was one of those. Abimelech's name means, my dad is king. So he's named, my dad is king, even though Gideon's like, no, 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 just the Lord be king over you. But remember my son's name, Abimelech, right? Well, Abimelech begins to make moves to try and legitimize his sonship and his kingship. He will go much further than his father taking rule by force. Abimelech will do many wicked things and be allowed to arise, rise to a position of influence for a time. And the natural question when studying the life of Abimelech is this, why does God allow this to happen, right? Why doesn't God 
shut the door on Abimelech before it ever gets going. Why does he delay bringing judgment down on the wicked Abimelech? We're going to answer some of those questions this morning in Judges 9 and the first part of chapter 10. Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to be covering a lot of ground this morning, okay? I said I want to read every verse in Judges, so by the end of it, not only have we explained it, but we've read the book in its entirety. So we're going to be reading a lot today. So get ready. Judges chapter 9. In this chapter, there are several lessons we learn about the just judgment of God and the gracious love of God that I want to share with you. Number one, I want you to see this. Very important. While God is at times silent, he is never absent. Amen? When considering God's presence and his work in this broken and fallen world in which we live, do not take silence to mean absence. And certainly, do not take silence to mean that God likes what's going on. Don't mistake silence for acceptance. God feels the same way about sin in the quiet as he does when he's present in pouring out his judgment. Just because he delays, just because he's quiet, does not mean he's not present and will not eventually act. He most certainly will. Look at verse 1 of Judges 9. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, that's Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also, I'm your bone and your flesh. So we see from early on Abimelech's wickedness, we see his deceitfulness, we see that he's very manipulative, and we see his ambition, his desire for power. He wants to be king over God's people. Notice how calculating he is. He goes to his hometown of Shechem, to the clan of his mother, and he begins to plant seeds that one ruler is better than 70, right? And that one ruler should be him because he's from Shechem. Now remember who I am. I'm a Shechemite like you. Isn't it better just for me than for 70? Abimelech is trying to justify with the clan of his mother's family the reason for the evil he is about to commit. He wants to wipe out the competition. He wants to kill members of his own family and wants them to support him. How will the people of Shechem respond? Look at verse 3. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they, they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows. That's who Abimelech's running with, worthless and reckless fellows. You're known by who you hang out with, right? Who followed him, you're known by who follows you. And he went to his father's house at Oprah, and he killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, 70 men on the stone. Those in Shechem give Abimelech their allegiance, and they fund this wicked campaign of violence and mass murder. Why? 
for power and influence to have their leader, a Shechemite, in control. To them, the ends justify the means. Abimelech kills almost every one of his siblings to solidify his power. This, by the way, is different from what we've read so far in the book. To this point in the book, the book of Judges, it's followed a general pattern that is broken here in Judges 9. I want you to see this. There are several omissions in this chapter and in the next that are significant. First, there's no mention of an outside enemy. There's no mention of the Midianites or the Philistines. Usually, there's a foreign enemy. We see here the enemy is within. That's significant. More on that in a moment. Two, God's name is not mentioned here at the beginning of this chapter. The pattern in Judges has been God's people sin. They're then oppressed by a pagan nation. They cry out to God and God chooses and raises up a judge to deliver his people from oppression and to give them rest. Here you don't have God choosing Abimelech, God empowering Abimelech to lead. Abimelech is seeking power and trying to rule in his own strength. He's not called on, he's not supported by God, but he takes it upon himself to seize power. He fights against his own family for position and control. Instead of receiving God's support and help, Abimelech receives support from a false god, an idol, Baal Bareth. We're told they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Bareth. If you want to know what kind of leader you should support, you should take a long, hard look at how they took power, whether their practices are ethical, who their friends are, and who supports them. You'll have a good idea after you answer those questions. When we do that with the Bimelech, we see there is nothing good about him, yet he is the one in power. And an obvious question for us to ask here is, why? Why is he in power? You ever ask these kinds of questions? God, what's going on here? Where are you in all this? Have you just exited the scene? Is he finally just through with God's people? Is he punishing them now for the sins of Gideon? Is he there? Does he care? We receive the answer in the next verse. Look at it. We learn in this passage that while God is at times silent, that does not mean he is absent. He is very much present and at work. He is silent in the first part of Judges 9, but he's not absent. Look at verse 5. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, that's Gideon, was left. Maybe he was overlooked a little bit being the youngest. We don't know how he survived, but he, he hid himself and he wasn't found. They weren't looking for him. He survived. So one of Gideon's sons, other than Abimelech, survives. That's important. Verse 6. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. So Abimelech doesn't even try to pretend he doesn't want it. He wants to be king. Gideon's like, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no king except the Lord. And then he lived like it. Abimelech's like, bring it on. Bring it on. He wants the title and role and praise of a king. Gideon had said in Judges 8, the Israelites were not supposed to have a king over them. The act of crowning Abimelech as king is a clear rejection of the Lord's rule over them. Terrible scandal, but God is at work. He protects one of the sons of Gideon and he will use him 
to prophetically expose the kind of king Abimelech will be. I want you to see this here in this parable that he tells. Look at verse 7. When it was told Jotham that Abimelech was made king, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them. Now, we know this is a parable, okay? So, so follow him here. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? In other words, I'm doing fine making olive oil over here. I'll pass on being king of the trees. Okay, that's what he's saying. Verse 10. And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? I'm doing fine in the fig business. I'll pass on a career in politics. That's what the fig tree says. And the tree said to the vine, come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Wine business is booming. I'll pass. Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. Here we see God is at work through the only other surviving son of Gideon, Jotham. Jotham will remind the leaders of Shechem that they should have followed the Lord's rule instead of hitching their wagon to a tumbleweed like Abimelech. That's what he's saying. He's saying that was foolish. Who other than God have you hitched your wagon to? How's that working out for you? Substitute saviors will fail you. They will leave you hungry and thirsty and broken and lost. That is what Jotham is reminding God's people Israel of here. And we need reminding of that as well. Jotham tells this parable of two fruitful trees and a vine and a bramble bush, the olive and fig trees, and the fruit of the vine are pictures of fruitful, powerful rulers who would have properly prospered and protected God's people. A bramble bush would have been a poor substitute for shade when compared to an olive or fig tree and considered fruitless compared to the grapes from a vine. That's who Abimelech is. Look at verse 15. And the bramble said to the trees... If in good faith you're anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. We've got some prophecy here of what's going to happen. The bramble, who's Abimelech, saying, you stay faithful to me, everything will go okay, but you do me wrong, you're going to burn for it. That's going to happen. Let's keep reading, verse 16. Now therefore, this is, this is Jotham speaking, to the people of Shechem, if you had acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you had dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. He says, my, my father Gideon fought for you. He was used by God to deliver you from the terrible Midianites. And how do you repay him in this way? He's saying, if you would have... If Abimelech would have risen to power over his other brothers in the right way, for the right reason, if you would have had good intentions and gone about it the right way, 
then things might have gone well for you. But as a result of the way things have gone down, you Shechemites are going to suffer. That's what he says. Verse 18. And you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant. This illegitimate and wicked son you've made king over the leaders of Shechem because he is your relative. If then you have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech, remember that, mark that down, and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Remember that. Verse 21, And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beir and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. So he, he pronounces this and then mic drop, he gets out of there, all right? That's what happens. I love this passage here because we're reminded of the fact nothing goes unnoticed with God. He knows all that Abimelech and the people of Shechem have been up to. This has not happened behind his back. While he's been silent, he's not been absent. God's invisible hand of providence is clearly seen here. While Abimelech has been deviously scheming with his people in Shechem in the shadows, while he, he wickedly and unjustly murdered every brother who posed a threat to his throne, God providentially preserved Jotham to visit the people of Shechem to let them know that they had picked the wrong king. And this selection of this wicked king and these wicked acts will end in their destruction. Both Shechem and Abimelech will suffer the consequences of this treachery. Do wicked people in positions of power cause you to question God's presence, His hand of providence, and His sovereign purposes? Do you get stressed by the fact that godless people prosper, the wicked conquer, and the righteous suffer. Does that bother you? Something we learn throughout Scripture is that the times when it seems as if God is absent from His people and indifferent about the evils in their world, those are the times we find He is very much present and at work for His purposes, for their good, and for His own glory. We see that here. In Judges chapter 9. Listen, believers, God has not changed. He is the same now as He's always been. And He wants us, when times get dark, when difficulties come, He wants us to lift our gaze up above the darkness into His glorious throne room, looking to Him and trusting in Him to work. That's what He wants. Notice what else we learn here about God's judgment from judges. We learn while God is not the cause of evil, He allows it and He uses it for His just purposes. The author of Judges clearly shows us this truth in the following verses. Look at verse 22. And Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. 
that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told to Abimelech. We are told here that while Abimelech was allowed to rise to a position of power and rule over Israel for three years, and while Shechem, who supported this wicked act and benefited from his rule, the Lord has not forgot about the violence that was done to the house of Gideon, and he will eventually repay violence with violence. While God is at times slow to act, listen, there will be a payday someday. There will be. Notice here that God is going to allow for and use evil to punish evil. You're like, he does that? Absolutely. He sends an evil spirit that will cause problems between Shechem and Abimelech to completely shatter that relationship. If that causes you problems, don't let it. Listen, there are many times in Scripture when God uses wicked nations, corrupt leaders, and evil spirits to punish and defeat wicked nations, corrupt leaders, and evil spirits. And while God allows for and uses evil to punish evil, all evil parties will eventually stand judgment before God. But in the meantime, God does not allow for these evil parties just to roam free by themselves and disrupt His plans. He doesn't allow that. He uses them and, and punishes each other in order to accomplish His plans. It's amazing, isn't it? I, I was, grew up hearing, you know, God will not use you unless you're obedient. That's not true. He'll use me regardless. Now, I may stand judgment for, for being disobedient, but God will still work in and through that. He's sovereign, right? I want him to use my obedience. Amen? Don't you? But he'll work regardless. We see that all throughout Scripture. That's the way he works. Let's keep reading. We see this. Look at Judges 9, 26. And Gael, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem, that we should serve him? He's turning people, turning them against Abimelech. Is he not the son of Jeroboam, and is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? Would that his people were under my hand. He's trying to take power away from Abimelech. Then I would remove Abimelech, and I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So here we see that Abimelech and the people of Shechem eventually have a falling out. That should not surprise you. Listen, when, when a relationship is formed deceitfully, don't be surprised when it falls apart completely. Right? There's a good principle for us. That happens. A new leader moved in to the area and the people of Shechem decide to hitch their wagon to him. They put their confidence in him and they turn against Abimelech. Deceitful people. Look at verse 30. 
When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard these words, the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. You see, he was loyal to Abimelech. He's got one there that's loyal to him. He's going to let Abimelech know what's going on. Verse 31. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early, rush upon the city, and when he and the people who are with them come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So let's stop here for a minute and let's ask this question. Why does God allow for Abimelech to know about the plans of the Shechemites to come against him? Why does he allow for him to have one faithful in the group who is going to turn against the group and, and let him know that the Shechemites have turned away from him? We learned in the previous passage, God's upset with Abimelech, right? He's upset with Abimelech like he is the Shechemites for the murder of Gideon's son. What's going on here? Why is he providentially giving a wicked ruler like Abimelech a good warning here? Let's, let's see why. Let's keep reading verse 34. This is a lengthy one through uh, verse 49. So follow along with me. And I'll, I'll pause and give a few words of, of comment as we go. Verse 34. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city, and Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, Remember, Zebul, he's, he's loyal to Abimelech. He says, Oh, you mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. <laughs> so he's like, I think I see an army coming. He's like, No, 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 that's just the shadow of the mountain. Just to give it give Abimelech a bit more time to get there. Let's keep reading. Verse 37. Gael spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. So he sees them now, and then Zebul's going to show his cards. Verse 38. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your mouth now? You who said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gael went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Aruma, and Zebul drove out Gael and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. Let's keep reading, verse 42. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city. So he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. Verse 45, And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it. These are Shechemites. And he raised the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard it, they entered the stronghold of the house of Elbereth. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went up 
to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood. The bramble bush king takes a bundle of brushwood. And he took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, What you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. All right. Long passage, I know. But very, very simple story to follow. Abimelech is paying the Shechemites back for betraying him, right? Here we have the reason why God providentially gives Abimelech a warning of the wicked Gael and the Shechemites' betrayal. He warned him so he could use him to punish them for their wickedness. God uses the wicked Abimelech to punish the wicked ruler Gael and the wicked Shechemites. He said he would do this, right? He said that through Jotham. Remember, God said through Jotham to the Shechemites for hitching their wagon to Abimelech, he told them the thornbush king would consume the cedars. They would burn because of Abimelech. Who is in control here? Sunday school answer, God, right? God is in control. But what about Abimelech? Is he not wicked as well? Oh, he is, and God's not through with them. We see here that while God allows for and uses evil to punish evil, while he allows certain evils to remain for a time, he will not ultimately allow for any evil to go unpunished forever. And aren't you glad that's the case? We learn in Scripture that while God is not the author of evil, he allows it. And he works in and through it for his purposes. At times he allows for and uses evil to punish evil. But he never allows any evil to ultimately go unpunished. He uses an evil spirit to divide Abimelech from the Shechemites. An evil Abimelech to punish the Shechemites. And we will see that he will use a people from a city called Thebes to punish the wicked Abimelech. Next point. Almost done. While God's judgment is delayed, it is certain and severe. Look at verses 50 through 57. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. He was going to do the same thing to them, right? And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. I told you, judges, this is rough. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. So after defeating the people of Shechem, Abimelech 
decided that he would go after their allies, the people of Thebes, strong tower within the city. And when Abimelech and his army came into the town, the people of the city, they fled to this tower, they shut themselves in. And when Abimelech came near to the tower to burn it with fire, we're told a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head. We have a video of what, what a, a millstone is here. You can, you can see this. should be up on the screen here. It was used in this day, a millstone was, to, grain, to grind grain into flour. Okay, There were two stones. One was stationary and the other was, was used to grind up the grain into flour. This upper millstone would have been what this woman hoisted up and threw so you could see why it would kill someone, right? It, it, it was thrown down on Abimelech, crushed his skull. Second time in Judges, a woman kills a powerful leader. First time it's Jael who kills Sisera by driving a tent peg through his skull. And now we have Abimelech being killed by a woman from Thebes with a millstone. There's some irony here in this story. Abimelech murdered his brothers on one stone and now he is killed by a single stone. Abimelech tries to dress this death up, make it more honorable, having his, his armor bearer run him through with the sword, but his death is still remembered as it is today as a millstone to the head by a woman. God does not allow for this wicked leader to have an honorable death at the hands of of the Shechemites after they betray him. No, he humbles them by allowing for them to be burned by Abimelech, and then he humbles Abimelech by putting him to death at the hands of this random woman. God did this. We know she's not random, right? Providentially chosen, but it seems random. God did this to punish these wicked people in the most humiliating way possible to show I'm in control. I'm the king. I know what I'm doing, and I am accomplishing my purposes, no matter what wicked men do. Look at verses 56 and 57. That's the lesson here. Look at it. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in the killing of his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. There's God right there. He's been there all along, and he's the one at work here. While Abimelech was seeking revenge against the treacherous Shechemites, and this woman from Thebes was protecting herself against the wicked Abimelech, what we really have here is God providentially working through these individuals to repay them for the unjust murder of Gideon's sons. While God's judgment can be delayed, it is certain and it is severe. As I said earlier in the words of the old Baptist minister R.G. Lee, according to the word of God, there is going to be a payday someday. God's judgment is coming. And the question for you today is, are you ready for that day? Praise be to God, while His judgment is coming upon sinners, God has provided a way of escape through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's our last point. While people are wicked, God's grace is amazing. Turn quickly to Judges 10. 
We haven't read enough yet. We've got to read a little bit more. <laughs> Verses 1 through 5, quickly. After Abimelech there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo. Oh, unfortunate name. A man of Issachar, and he lived at Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years, then he died and was buried at Shemir. After him arose Jair the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years, and he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities called Havoth Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead, and Jair died and was buried in Cameron. Notice in these five verses, we have a change once again in the structure of the narrative of Judges. Several notable omissions from this passage. Notice first, no mention once again of a foreign army. You know why? Because the enemy is within. These judges are sent to save Israel from Israel. God's people needed God to send a Savior to save them from themselves. Do you follow me? So do we. Timothy Keller in his commentary on Judges says this. Look at this up on the screen. God's people ultimately needed a leader. They need a leader who will rescue them from themselves. They need it, so do we. Notice another omission. While God continues to send judges to His people, we're not told that they're crying out for it, are we? There does not seem to be any confession of sin here, no expression of a need for salvation, yet God continues to send saviors. Timothy Keller again says this, This is the sheer grace of God. The people have completely abandoned Him. They have sunk to the depths and they are not even crying out in repentance, yet God sends them judge saviors they are not asking for. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Aren't you thankful in that while we were still sinners, God sent Christ to die for us, to save us from the wrath of God to come? That's Romans 5, 8 and 9. I'm thankful for that because God's judgment is coming and when it comes, the only hope of escape will be the rescue that He has provided for us from sin and death through, through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, God has provided a tower for us like He did for the people in Thebes. But this tower is not a protection from a wicked ruler like Abimelech, but from a righteous and divine judge. The Lord Jesus was sent from God to us, from heaven to earth, to be that tower for us, to be our refuge and save us from the judgment that He will one day bring. Jesus came, He lived, He died, He rose again to rescue us from God's judgment and restore us to God's kingdom. Are you ready for that judgment day that's coming? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, I pray you would today. Let's pray together.